uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, you've been busy uh, the last 24 hours. Uh, I just heard you on the Sports Animal this morning. Again, we're taping on Wednesday morning. You're on the Sports Animal promoting your other podcast, your golf podcast, the 73rd Hole. And uh, you had Taylor Gooch on your podcast yesterday as the Tiger Woods news broke. So you've had a lot going on the last 24 hours. It's been an eventful 24 hours. Yeah, of course, Taylor Gooch, one of Oklahoma State's finest. Carl Albert before that. Yeah, he spent, God, he spent all afternoon with us yesterday. We got about two hours of it on air. Uh, the rest of it was not was not on air conversation content, but uh, he was unbelievable with the interview. And yeah, it was, it, I mean, he, he got there probably five minutes after the Tiger news broke. So we didn't even record for the first hour because everybody was in a fog and we had to kind of reset mentally so that we could have a golf conversation that didn't solely revolve around Tiger. It's, it's been a weird 24 hours. Yeah, no doubt. And I want to hear more about, about Taylor because he's having a great OSU career or uh, PGA career. Cause we talk a lot about the OSU guys with, with Hovland and Wolf, but Gooch is very consistent, very good all around player and, and is having a solid career. But before we get to, more of that and more of the Tiger news. And obviously we got to talk about OSU's big win over Texas Tech and their their updated uh, basketball schedule as well. But the pod is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And this is also a very important time up in Stillwater and really everywhere across the country in terms of local businesses. I think Bill Haston wrote a really good article on you know how local businesses are affected in Stillwater and in Norman with no college football and obviously the the crowds are limited at basketball as well so if you're in Stillwater be sure to go support Chris's they're a, they're a staple or in Stillwater and uh, we, we certainly appreciate them uh, joining up with us again this year for the podcast uh, with that, that said Colby uh, let's get to Tiger news real quick and then we'll break down uh, everything happening with Oklahoma State but I like you was in a fog I was actually playing golf when the news broke and I couldn't even like focus on the round I was on my phone about half the time and Obviously, when the news breaks, you're just you're concerned if he's alive or not. And uh, I guess the news today is that he had successful surgery. It, it mostly was on the right leg. I heard you talking with Craig Humphreys on the Sports Channel a lot about it. But give our uh, PFB listeners your thoughts. Yeah, it's it's so surreal. You know, it, it's yesterday whenever it broke, there was so much uncertainty and there was so much speculation. I mean, we didn't know. We went a few hours where we didn't know if Tiger was going to survive. We went even longer, not knowing if he was going to, you know, lose a leg, infections, compound fractures. You never know what can happen there. And I know that somebody's probably sitting around listening and thinking, why are they talking about Tiger Woods on on this Oklahoma State podcast? It's just when it happens with Tiger, it's like what happened with Kobe last year. It's it's these things that transcend sports. They transcend teams. Tiger has always transcended golf. And, you know, last night, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, all of them were, were coming on with the Tiger news. And it's it, it was so, uh, I don't know, mind-numbing yesterday. I, I tweeted out last night that I, I still haven't processed it. I don't even know how to process it. You know, somebody like me who grew up on Tiger Woods, he was everything. He's the reason I play golf. He's the reason I love golf. He, he's the reason a lot of guys play and love golf. I mean, even Max Homa this past Sunday who won the event and got handed the, the trophy by Tiger. He's like, you know, that, that guy's the reason that I play golf. So he just, he, he means more uh, to, to Tiger fans than you would think 
that any individual athlete could mean to a fan base, but it's just, he has been the game of golf for 25, coming up on 30 years now, if you consider the hype that was around him as an amateur. So it's, it's been crazy to, uh, to watch over the last 24 hours. I'm, I'm glad he's okay. Um, you know, relatively, it could have been so much worse whenever you look at the pictures of the car. Um, what was really tough for me, Carson, was to listen to, to the players down at the WGC talk about it. And a guy like Justin Thomas, who is, you know, best friends with Tiger. I mean, he was clearly, you, you know, about to start bawling his eyes out in that interview. And it, it's just, it's tough right now. It's tough right now for golf fans because there's still a lot of unknown, but um, at, at least he's alive. He's alert. He's conscious. Seems like lower leg injuries, which is better than chest injuries. It's better than head injuries. Could have been a lot worse, but still a lot of uncertainty to come. Yeah, I mean, Tiger's larger than sports. I mean, he's world famous. So when something like this happens, we're going to talk about it. We Kyle Porter and I talked about when the Kobe news happened, just what a crazy event that was. But you're right, man. He, he's lucky to be alive. When the, the, that scene with the, all the telephone poles and all the stuff that he – happen to avoid with the wreck he, he's very fortunate so hopefully he gets back up to just I just want him to see him be able to watch Charlie play this kid I, I just hope he has a normal quality of life that's all I care about I mean I we got a long way to go before the golf's decided but but I I also thought about you know I recently listened to an interview with with Alan Bratton OSU's head golf coach and he obviously played against Tiger for the national championship and ended up beating Stanford uh in, in a playoff and he's still, despite like going to battle with Tiger all those years ago, like he, he spoke glowingly about Tiger and how well he treated him. And then like, he obviously had a lot of interactions with him lately when Victor Hovland was the, the low amateur at, at Augusta, he got to hang out with Tiger at Butler cabin. <laughs> and so it, I think it's just, a, there's a, there is a bit of an OSU tie there and that OSU beat him for the national championship and that Bratton still could, could call Tiger and, and talk to him and, and, and be friendly with them. So that, that speaks a lot to, to Tiger and just kind of there is a somewhat of a, an OSU connection there. But scary deal. Hopefully uh, he can get back on the mend and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about it as we learn more. But Colby, there was also a huge, huge basketball game for Oklahoma State. Uh, got moved to Big Monday, 8 o'clock Monday night. OSU again goes to overtime with Texas Tech and they find a way to win. Just an incredible win, and we can talk a lot about the game, Colby, but what struck me most was Mike Boynton's reaction afterwards. He was just going nuts with the student section, and he spoke a lot about that afterwards, how consistent the students have been for them, being loud, showing up, and uh, just for me, and just Colby, just another example that, that Mike Boynton just gets it. He, he gets Stillwater, he gets the program, and now they have eight conference wins, which is the most since Mike's first year, and uh, the most since Brad Underwood's first year when they had nine. Yeah, it's, you know, for the first time in a while, Carson, I feel like there is real excitement around Oklahoma State basketball. It's just felt kind of monotonous year over year, just kind of the same struggles. It's like, when is something finally going to go right? When are they going to catch a break? And it seems like they finally caught one. They land the number one player in the country. And not only do they land him, I mean, the freshman class that came in, Rondell Walker, M.A. Moncrief, these guys have been great. They've, they've grown throughout the season. Bryce Williams coming in as a transfer. But even the development of guys who were here a year ago on this team who've improved so drastically year over year, and, and I'm specifically talking about Caleb Boone and Avery Anderson, I mean, those two guys are, are totally different players than they were 
a year ago. So there's even some hope for me that, you know, we all know Cade's here for one year and we're going to just enjoy it as much as we can. But then whenever he's gone, I still think there's a lot of good players there that could keep this program uh, rolling, keep, keep this program churning out wins and tournament appearances season over season. And that's what Oklahoma State basketball needs. Uh, and that game on Monday night was just uh, both games, Carson, this year against Texas Tech. Awesome, awesome basketball games. Really was. I mean, this is now OSU's 3-0 and in overtime, which is uh, – that defies the odds. But uh, Marshall Scott wrote his – as he always does, his five thoughts on the game. I kind of want to go through a few of them. And I did want to keep kind of the subject on Mike Boynton here at first. His, his third uh, thought is, is it time to back up the Brinks truck for Mike Boynton? He says his price tag is only going up, you know, at some point, schools are going to come calling a 39-year-old coach who has already signed the number one player. No, he hasn't won a turning game or even been to the tournament yet, but Boynton is the lowest paid coach in the Big 12. He makes $1.7 million a year. And Colby, it's such a, it's such a conundrum based on the way the Travis Ford situation played out. They, didn't, they paid him too much too soon, and they didn't pay Brad Underwood enough at, quickly enough, apparently, because he, he bolted out of Stillwater as soon as he realized he wasn't getting a raise. Uh, so what would you do now with, with Mike Boynton? Obviously, <clears throat> he's proven he's an elite recruiter. He's already in on one of the best players in the country for next recruiting class out of Canada. He obviously has endeared himself to Stillwater in a way that, Colby, that I, I don't think I've ever seen before where with Mike Boynton, the results almost haven't mattered. He's been that, that likable. He's obviously shown a lot of results in terms of recruiting, which, which does matter. But what would you do with, with him this, this season? Obviously, there's a lot of season left to play, but – what do you what do you fall on the uh, the situation with Mike's contract and moving forward? Yeah, I, I certainly think he deserves to be higher paid than the the tenth highest paid coach in the Big Twelve. Whenever he first came on at Oklahoma State, it made sense that that he wasn't very expensive. He was a relative unknown at the time uh, that people had to really figure out what what he was going to be in Stillwater. I do think though that I hope that what happened with Travis Ford doesn't cloud the judgment of giving Mike Boynton what he deserves. You know, it didn't go well with Travis Ford. And I'm not advocating for a 10-year contract. It didn't go well with Travis Ford. But, you know, it'd be like if your your ex-girlfriend cheated on you, so now you don't trust your current girlfriend, even though she's <laughs> giving you no reason not to. Like, stop. Don't, don't use your past to justify a wrong decision that you're making now. And um, I, I do think that Mike Boynton will get a lot of calls from a lot of schools. He, he's a hot, young coach right now and if Oklahoma State wants to keep him they need to let him know via the checkbook that he's valued and that they appreciate what he's done for the program and like you said the dude is so likable I mean I, I didn't think it was even possible for anyone to overtake Josh Holiday for my favorite coach at Oklahoma <laughs> State because I love me some Josh Holiday, and uh, I got to, to work with Josh Holiday when I was in college as a beat writer he, he's just unbelievable and I gotta tell you Mike Boynton is right there now, 1A, 1B. And, and what's so impressive to me, Carson, is usually the guys that, that the fan base falls in love with are OSU guys, went to school here, grew up here, have been here around Stillwater. Mike Boynton is the total opposite. He's from New York City. He's, you know, he's not a Stillwater guy. He's not an Oklahoma guy at all. But yet from day one when he showed up, he's understood and he's pressed every right button to move the program in the right direction. So he is, it's been crazy to watch an outsider who's not an Oklahoma State guy come in and just totally win over the hearts of the entire fan base. 
It's funny you mentioned Josh Holiday because he reminds me a lot of Josh just in their demeanors, the, the way they speak. It's very infectious, and you can totally get why Josh and Mike are both elite recruiters because when they're up there at the podium, like you're sold, you're, you're buying what they are saying at, at all times, and they they, just, they speak very well. They obviously have have done good jobs uh, recruiting, and, and they're both similar in that they were assistant coaches. They were, you know, Holiday was one of the mo most elite assistant coaches in the country, one of the best recruiters in the country. Obviously, being an OSU guy led him back to Stillwater, but you're right. I mean, Mike Boyden just – and look, could he have won more games to this point? We all agree, yes. But I just I just think he's doing a good job. And at some point, it kind of turns into – like, if you're worried about his wins and losses, it turns into a bit of a Scott Drew situation where as long as he keeps recruiting at that clip, it's going to click at some point. And I think it's starting to click this season, Colby, because as far as the game is concerned – it wasn't just the Cade Cunningham show. I mean, Cade had four fouls. He had to sit for a long period of time. Uh, to me, the best player on the floor was Avery Anderson. And that's that's one of uh, Marshall's uh, five thoughts as well. And, man, Avery Anderson went straight at Mac McClung. Basically could do whatever he wanted to McClung when when Avery was on offense. And he was sensational. I mean, he, he really, I think, has elevated his play the last month. He had 16 points. And at, at, at certain points in the game, they could not stop him from getting to the rim, including on one of the most crucial buckets of the game. He just, they used Kate as a decoy and he got right to the rim. I thought, I thought Avery Anderson was outstanding and continues to elevate probably the ceiling of this team when he plays like that. Yeah, the end of the game play, by the way. So whenever Oklahoma State's got the ball, there's like 40 seconds left. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this looks totally scatterbrained. I, I don't think – I didn't. I thought that, you know, Tech was doing a good job on ball denial to Cade. And the other guys, you know, clearly they were trying to get it to Cade and couldn't. I thought they looked very confused and flustered. And I really thought that it was one of the, the best individual coaching moments of Mike Boynton's time at Oklahoma State because he saw it. He called timeout. He brought everybody over. He clearly calmed everybody down and gave them a concrete plan. Okay, this is what we're going to do to beat what they're doing. And that was to use Cade Cunningham as a decoy. Avery Anderson gets fouled, makes both free throws. But a Avery really, you know, Cade has one foul at halftime. So we're watching the game. I mean, it's halftime. And, and it's like, finally, we get a, a game where Cade can just play free. You know, he doesn't have to worry about the foul trouble. He can just be free to play basketball. Of course, then he picks up three fouls in three minutes to start the second half. And Oklahoma State falls down by 11. And when Oklahoma State falls down by 11, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen. I mean, Cade went out. That's, you know, to be expected. And then Avery Anderson goes scorched earth, gets Oklahoma State back in the game, starts making play after play. Uh, I thought he was unbelievable. I thought Boynton, uh, you know, balanced – Cade's four fouls with getting him back out on the court at the exact right time. I, I just thought everything Boynton did in the second half, I loved. Everything Avery Anderson did in the second half, I love. And, and Caleb Boone, too, he was great last night. I mean, he was aggressive going to the rim. Couple of nice big dunks. He was rolling off those screens incredibly well. So it was, you know, the second half that I saw from Mike Boynton, Avery Anderson, and Caleb Boone, that is winning basketball. And uh, it was awesome to see that, especially with Cade playing limited minutes there in that second half. Yeah, I mean, it to me, it's it's showing that this team has learned how to win without without Kate Cunningham. Because just think back to some of those close losses early in the year. It was basically, Kate, save us. We'll get out of the way, please. But now that this team's growing up before our very eyes. And you mentioned it. They were they opened the second half with a like a seven minute scoreless streak, and Anderson really revived things. But it actually started Colby 
with the other Boone twin, a name we have not said a lot this season, Keelan Boone, who had only played nine minutes total over the past six games. He had completely fallen out of the rotation. He's forced to play due to the Cade Cunningham foul trouble, obviously, and he kind of got the pokes on the scoreboard in the second half. They, they, nothing was going early on, and he hits a three. And I thought Keelan Boone really played well, and I think that's something that sparked a 15-0 run, which overcame that nine-point deficit. And I think I, we, I've just wondered why he hasn't played more, and I'm sure Mike Boynton has his reasons. Obviously, when Cade's not in foul trouble, that, that certainly limits his minutes. I understand that. But unleash the Boone twins. Like, they've struggled inside all year. I know Keelan likes to, to, to float out to the outside as well, but I liked what I saw out of Keelan. Did you? Yeah, I did. You know, he's he's struggled. And I, I think that he has been a little bit frustrated with, you, you know, his struggles and hasn't been able to get on the court a ton this year. But last night, whenever they needed some big plays, he, he provided and he played some good minutes in that second half, the step back three, like you said, uh, whenever Oklahoma State got down 11 to kind of pull them back within single digits. And also at the end of the game uh, in, in overtime, you, you know, Keelan Boone gets fouled. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, hold on. Cade Cunningham just had the ball. Cade Cunningham got slapped in the ribs and they didn't call a foul on that one. And then Keelan Boone gets breathed on at the elbow and they call the foul on Keelan. And now we've got a 54% free throw shooter going to the line. And I told my wife, I'm like, there's just no way that Keelan's going to make both of these 54% shooter game on the line. And I, I figured, you know, we'll get one of two, which is good. You'd love to have both, but I'll, I'll settle for one of two. So he makes the first one. Now we're playing with house money cash is the second one. It was uh, it was really good stuff from Keelan. And, and it was a moment for him that I think, it had to have been so satisfying that he was a key part of winning a big game. And that was a big game because Oklahoma State and Texas Tech are right there teetering in the standings in that 6-7 spot in the Big 12. And we all know the 7 seed has to play uh, what I assume is going to be Iowa State in the opening round of the Big 12 tournament. So that was, that was awesome to see for Keelan Boone, and I'm happy that he got to be part of a big win. Yeah, I mean, uh, Caleb spoke a lot about that afterwards, how he just he missed seeing his brother on the court. I mean, they've played their entire lives together. So, you know, that meant a lot to his brother, Caleb, as well. So really a, a positive outcome, Colby. And obviously they, they beat Texas Tech. That leads us to a, just an unprecedented situation with with back to back Bedlam games coming up. I, I want to talk about that, but also the Big 12 with a scheduling update as well. I want to talk about both of those things, but we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit. As always, the Pistols Firing Podcast is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop shop. Go to chrisuniversityspirit.com to do all your cowboy shopping needs. And again, the local vendors, the local restaurants, the local shops need your help. If you're in Stillwater, be sure to go to Chris's, get you a, get you a hat, get your shirt. It's starting to warm up outside. Uh, baseball season is near. You're going to have some baseball hats for you coming to the new O'Brate Stadium, which we'll talk about a little later as well. So again, we appreciate Chris's. All right, Colby, the uh, Big 12, we weren't sure when or if they were going to play the basketball games against Baylor and West Virginia. And lo and behold, they did reschedule them. And they're after the Bedlam double header. And so that means, Colby, Oklahoma State's going to play four top 10 teams in a week. So the Big 12 <laughs> did issue no favors here with this gauntlet of a schedule to end the season. Yeah, no doubt about it. This is, I mean, I saw that they rescheduled these games. I was actually 
a little peeved whenever I saw the way it was working out for Oklahoma State. I, I feel like Oklahoma State's getting totally shafted in the rescheduling of the games. I, I don't understand why Oklahoma State is forced to make up the game with Baylor. Why, why isn't OU forced to make up the game that they lost with Baylor? They're going to end up playing Baylor one time. So, I mean, that's just a free loss that we're going to throw on Oklahoma State's schedule, assuming that they don't beat what I think is the best team in the country. That's another rabbit hole. I think it's total BS that Baylor's played in the best season in college, or best conference in college basketball all year. They've dominated everybody, haven't had a single game even be close down to the end, and yet they can't leapfrog, and, leapfrog Gonzaga, who's out here beating the brakes off Pacific every night. But that's a whole different rabbit hole. Yeah, I think Oklahoma State got shafted with the rescheduling at Baylor, at West Virginia, Thursday and Saturday of next week, after they go Saturday, Monday against Oklahoma. Uh, like you said, top 10, all those are top 10 teams. O OU may fall out of the top 10, depending what happens Saturday with Oklahoma State, because OU did lose to Kansas State last night. Uh, tough loss for OU, but man, OU'd really been on a roll at some point you can't just keep playing uh that great for that long of a period of time so who knows maybe Oklahoma State catches OU at the right time but I don't know Carson those last four games I mean you've got to think four, four games against top 10 teams I mean two and two sounds like a pretty good deal I, I would sign on the dotted line for two and two e even one and three get you to nine and nine in conference play yeah I mean three of those games are on the road including yeah. you know Waco to West Virginia it's a near 1300 mile trek I mean that's so this is another part of it too Colby this is going to be a physical and mental beatdown for the next month or so for OSU because you got this trip these four games obviously it's going to be a gauntlet then you go into this bubble for the Big 12 tournament where you're going to be stuck in there for as long as you're playing and even leading up to then you're going to be in the bubble for the NCAA tournament so this is going to be a very mentally taxing journey OSU is about to embark on, let alone just the tough basketball games they have left in the Big 12 schedule, Colby. But man, could you imagine being stuck in a bubble for the next two months, which would basically, it's going to be like the NBA bubble for these guys if they, you know, they go to the Big 12 bubble and the NCAA tournament one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be brutal. It's going to be uh, certainly survival of the fittest. And I think this is the point where late in the season and then dealing with, with COVID restrictions and everything going forward, this is the time where you have to have uh, a good leader, both on the bench and on the floor. And I think Oklahoma State has both of those. I think Mike Boynton does a good job of keeping his team focused, keeping them where they need to be. And then you need a guy on the floor who everybody can, can turn to and say, okay, this is our guy. Let's do what he does, you know, lead by example, just all, all that good stuff. And I think Cade Cunningham is that guy. And, and I think, you know, we talk about Avery Anderson, Caleb Boone, all these guys getting better. I, I think that Cade Cunningham's a big part of that. Just, you know, when these, these other guys who, who play for Oklahoma State show up every day and they get to see what we all think is a future NBA superstar, see how that guy prepares, just the moves that he does. I'm sure that the stuff that he's been able to teach them on the court, I just feel like it's been a perfect balance of him coming in as a freshman, being the best player on the team and being a leader, but not taking away from anything that's happening with anyone else. It's not like anyone else has really had to sacrifice their game so that Cade can be the man. And I, I feel like that balance that they've struck is phenomenal. But uh, yeah, just back to the scheduling and everything. Going to be a tough final four games for Oklahoma State. And uh, honestly, it really is kind of brutal that it got rescheduled the way it did. Because we were talking earlier about the six and seven seeds between Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. And now Oklahoma State is faced with four straight games against uh, top 10 teams, three of those on the road. 
and that potentially could drop them back down to the seventh seed if they don't fare too well in those. Let's see what uh, Kansas – or not Kansas. Here's Texas Tech's closing stretch for you, Carson. Saturday, they've got Texas at home. Tuesday, they've got TCU at home. Thursday, they've got Iowa State at home. And then next Sunday, they're at Baylor. So definitely an easier closing stretch for Texas Tech, who Oklahoma State's battling with for seeding in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, man, you really would like to play Iowa State in that first game. That's basically a gimme. If you don't have like 20 turnovers, you're, you're going to beat Iowa State in that, that 7-10 matchup. So hopefully they can get it. I, and again, I, I don't think this is vintage Texas Tech. So maybe they can, maybe they can lose one that uh, we don't really see coming. But you're right, well, a brutal, right brutal now, stretch. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken the, uh, let me go to the standings in the Big 12. I believe Oklahoma State currently sits at sixth in the conference standings, which means that they would not have to play at all on the opening night. Even um, better. Yeah, it would be even better. Yeah, they currently sit at sixth with a one-game lead in the loss column on Texas Tech. It's, it's a game-and-a-half lead, but it's one game in the loss column. Of course, Oklahoma State does have the tiebreaker because they beat Tech both times this year. It's just it, – it's hard to state really how big of a game that was on Monday night. Yep. And uh, you mentioned going two and two. I think that would be fantastic. And I was just looking this up. You know, obviously they have they have eight conference wins already with four games to play. That's the most since Mike Boynton's first season four years ago. Uh, Underwood had nine his one season. Did Colby, do you know the last time OSU had, let's see here, besides the 20, okay, besides the 2012 season with Marcus Smart when they had 13 conference wins, do you know the last time OSU had double-digit wins in Big 12 play? Oh, that is a good question. Um, was it the James Anderson team? It was not. They oh, won man. nine. It was the most he won. God. You got to go all the way back to the 2004-2005 season when they lost in the Sweet 16 to Arizona. They won 26 oh. games that year. They won 11 conference games. Wow. So Marcus Smart had that great year where they were, you know, third in the conference, and they still lost in the first round of the tournament, which was disappointing. They were 24 and nine that year. Besides that, Colby, they haven't had double digit Big 12 wins since the 04 05 season. So, That's man, staggering. two wins would get it done, though. And I think that speaks to, I think, the level of team they have this year. They're, they're young, but they're, they're growing up. And I, I think things are trending in the right direction for sure. If they're going to get two, which two do you think they'll be? Home and road against. OU and then road games against Baylor and West Virginia. Give, give me the two that they're going to win if I put you on the spot. Well, I certainly like the matchup with OU because they don't have a big that can really beat them up. I mean, I know Kirk Queff is a decent player inside for Oklahoma, but I think I think they match up pretty well with their length and athleticism against OU. Uh, I would probably pick a Bedlam sweep. I think your odds of winning at West Virginia are pretty slim, and obviously the one against Baylor, you're, you have very little chance to win. Although I will say this, Colby, they – Without Cade and Rondell Walker, they were up pretty big on, on Baylor at home, but I, I certainly don't expect them to win that one. So I'll go with the Bedlam sweep. Get the brooms out. That's what I'm picking. I would love that. I already like that prediction. I think it'll be hard to beat a good team twice in three days, uh, and I, I just almost know that they're not going to beat Baylor. Baylor is so good. Uh, so I would lean toward a split with Oklahoma and then beating West Virginia next Saturday. Uh, I think that there's uh, still a bitter taste in Oklahoma State's mouth from the 19-point blown lead at home in Ooh, early January yeah. against West Virginia. So I think they go seek their revenge in Morgantown. Yeah, and they, uh, West Virginia's kind of on a similar path that you mentioned with OU, how they were, it was hard for them to sustain it. They've won three, four, five out of six, including at Texas. So they're, 
they could be ripe for for an upset at the very end of the year, looking ahead to the Big 12 tournament. So it's going to be a fun end of the year, and I, I'm just glad OSU basketball's relevant again, and certainly with the the best player in the country. So or one of the best players. Uh, before we, I, I have one bit of football news here that we haven't touched on yet. I wanted to want to mention, but you you brought this up before we started recording. Uh, O'Brate Stadium, its debut is today at long last. And again, I one of the things that was the worst about the pandemic with sports uh, in OSU is it ruined the unveiling of O'Brate Stadium last year. They had George W. Bush all set to throw out the first pitch. Are you kidding? He threw out the most iconic first pitch in the history of planet Earth after 9-11 there in New York. He was going to be on hand. They had a big-time series planned to open Big 12 play. But at long last, Colby, they're hosting Little Rock today at 4 o'clock in Stillwater. Yeah, man, O'Bray Stadium. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable ballpark and I'm a baseball guy I have been for a long time I like college baseball I love Oklahoma State college baseball uh and Josh Holiday, my my grandpa coached at the NAIA level for about 20 years down at USAO in Chickasha and I I just it it means so much to Oklahoma State baseball I loved Allie P. Reynolds Stadium there's a lot of history there but it was time if Oklahoma State wanted to continue its trajectory toward becoming one of the better programs in the country it was time for a new stadium they've got one uh, man, I was so looking forward to the grand opening last year. I was going to be there. It was going to be awesome. And of course, you know, you know, some things are just out of your control. And that's what happened last year w- with COVID and with O'Bray Stadium. So this is long overdue, and I cannot wait to watch Oklahoma State play at O'Bray Stadium. It's it's sad to see Ali P go, but it was obviously time. I mean, this stadium that they've built in O'Bray Stadium is just it's unbelievable. Like. It, for a college baseball park, it is absolutely incredible. And it's an amazing place to, to go see a baseball game. I can't wait to go see it at some point. But uh, the job that Josh Holly is doing is exceptional. And you, you would like to see him have a lot more success this year. And I guess the first huge series we'll see in Stillwater is Josh's former school that he coached at, Vanderbilt. One of the perennial powers of college baseball comes to Stillwater March 12th through the 14th. So that'll be the, kind of the first Big time, big time series. So I'm, I'm curious to see uh, what O'Brate Stadium looks like for a, as big of a crowd as you can get during a pandemic. Yeah, it's it's Little Rock today. That'll be on ESPN Plus this afternoon. That game's at 4 o'clock. And then 4 o'clock games on Friday and Saturday as well that will also be on ESPN Plus. Sunday's game against Illinois State will not be on ESPN Plus. Uh, and then conference play, like you said, you got the big – uh, the big matchup with Vanderbilt, which is March 12th, 13th, and 14th. And then conference play gets underway for Oklahoma State baseball on March 19th in Lubbock against Texas Tech. Uh, the conference home opener at O'Brate Stadium won't be until March 26th against Kansas State. But that Vanderbilt series and that Texas Tech series to open conference play, those are two big, big series for Oklahoma State and a really good measuring stick uh, for what this team's going to look like as, as we move through baseball season. How, how long is baseball season anyway? I'm showing the last game here is May 22nd. Big 12 championship is the last week in May. And then uh, assuming that they make it to an NCAA regional, that will go through June, mid-June for the Supers, and then the end of June for the College World Series. So, uh, like I said, I'm kind of a baseball nerd, so I'm really excited. Yeah, that's going to be a blast. And uh, I think it flips this year. They do Bedlam, obviously. Uh, let's see here. A game in Stillwater, a game in Norman, a game in Norman. Uh, I thought they play, don't they play in Tulsa typically? The schedule says Stillwater, Norman, Norman. Yeah, but I don't know then they what's have, happening. The, uh, then they have that, that one-off game. Uh, in late in mid-May too so I, 
I think it was rotating where they do their normal three game series, but then they play an extra one. And I think it was in Stillwater last time. Now I think it shifts to Norman. So that's going to be a lot of fun too. Seeing a, a Bedlam, a, the first edition of Bedlam at O'Brate Stadium will be, will be awesome. And hopefully uh, things slow down with the pandemic and we can, we can get to O'Brate Stadium at some point. So I'm, I'm excited about Josh Holiday. have been for a long time. He continues to do a good job and it's time to go start winning championships. OU's really good this year. Big 12 is always good. So It'd be fun to watch to see the job that he does. Uh, one quick football note. Uh, the spring roster is out, Colby, and we had not heard any news in terms of who's coming back amongst L.D. Brown, Tay Martin, Logan Carter. Well, it turns out all three are on the spring roster, so it, it appears they are returning. So they have not made announcements. They are leaving and uh, nor entering the transfer portal. So that's a big boost for the backfield, Colby. We've talked all football season long about how good L.D. Brown's been, obviously, with uh, Tay Martin played really well when given an opportunity when when Tylen Wallace was out and certainly Logan Carter will fill in for Jelani Woods at the Cowboy back so that some uh, some reinforcements coming back for spring when we we hadn't heard much news about them yeah I think uh, LD Brown coming back in the backfield like you said that's just a huge huge bump for Oklahoma State he was so good and took such a big step forward this year and, and that's not to say that I don't like what Oklahoma State has with Desmond Jackson and Dominic Richardson I do but you know running back that's a position that takes a lot of hits. You need as much depth there as you can get. So to be able to bring L.D. Brown back as the as your what I presume is your number one back, then you can have Desmond Jackson as kind of the uh, the, the off speed pitch there. And I, I do like Dominic Richardson, but I think we saw at the end of the year he he was really good, but still just needs some time. You know, guys get better with time. So I definitely think we'll see him on the field next year. But I think we'll see a lot more from Dominic Richardson in 2022. So I'm I'm thrilled to have L.D. back. I thought he. He was a lot of fun to watch this past season. Yeah, I'm excited about him a lot. Uh, and things are trending upward. I, I'm I'm looking forward to spring football. I don't know what's going to look like with the pandemic that I've mentioned, but the backfield was a concern looking ahead to this coming season before the season started. But with the way LD played, and certainly with the way Richardson played, uh, it looks like a pretty stable stable backfield. So that's that's certainly something to look forward to come spring football. All right, let's get to buckets and bricks, Colby. I will start. My bucket's got to go to Mike Boynton. This guy just, again, I mentioned it earlier in the show. I don't recall ever a coach with this high of approval rating without the level of success to, to justify his approval rating. And again, I think he's been successful everywhere else in terms of recruiting, in terms of winning over the fan base. And, and I just thought it was so cool at the end of the game after beating Texas Tech, he didn't go over to the alumni didn't go over to the big boosters. He was in interacting with the students because he knows that's what brings the rowdy to Gallagher Iba arena. That's the heart and soul of the arena itself. And I thought Gallagher Iba for 3000 people was, was lit against Texas tech. I thought it was, it was loud. It was, it was exciting. And I just can't wait to see Mike Boyden with a, a absolutely maximum capacity Gallagher Iba because this guy just gets it. And I think he has the full support of, of Oklahoma state. Yeah, I mean, I just I envisioned 13,000 people sitting in those seats and Mike Boynton coming out to midcourt to lead that OSU chant. It just it, it gives you chills to think about what that's going to feel like. And it is it's such a shame that we were robbed of, you know, the Cade Cunningham season because of COVID. And, and at least, hey, I'm grateful that we're getting to watch it all year. I'm grateful that we've got 3,000 people there. I've gotten to see him play in person once against Kansas earlier this season. I'll be at Lloyd Noble Center on Saturday, so I'll get to see him play twice this year in person. I'm fired up for that. Um, but I, I would have loved to have seen him in a packed Gallagher Iba. But I think that's a good one. You you pretty much hit the nail on the head today with Mike Boynton and, and how he has just gotten it. 
He, he just understands what what Oklahoma State basketball is and what it means uh, to the fans especially. So uh, for my bucket, I've got to give it to the guy who I think is the reason Oklahoma State won that game. That's Avery Anderson. Avery Anderson was unbelievable. It's probably the best performance of his career considering where Oklahoma State was at uh, early in that second half, down by 11 points. And and he pretty much single-handedly led that comeback with Cade Cunningham on the bench. And then after Oklahoma State had already come back, and not only come back, but taken the lead on that 15-0 run after they fell down by 11, then Cade came back in and things kind of uh, resumed to normal. But huge bucket to Avery Anderson because, in my opinion, he is the reason they won that game. He was electric. And, uh, you know, it's easy to forget with all the recruits they've got, McCade and Moncrief and and everyone else. Like, Avery Anderson was a big-time recruit. And it's just that that shows you the stable of, of recruiting classes that Mike Gun or Mike Gunny, that Mike Boynton is building. And, uh, no, Avery was sensational. And he just gives them a different dimension at, at guard. He's, he's electric. And that's something they need on the offensive end at times when things tend to slow down. Okay, my brick, and this is probably one I've used already this season, but I'm going back to it. Big 12 officiating. Do they not teach these officials what a block or a charge is? At one point in the game, OSU gets called for a blocking foul when Caleb Boone was clearly set. And then they called, they called a, one of the most, the worst, one of the worst charging calls against Oklahoma State that I've ever seen. The guy slides at the very last second across the entire lane. His feet weren't even close to being set. Like, the disparity on block charge calls, it's almost like Colby, they blow the whistle because they know they have to call something. And just in the moment, it's like, do I feel like pointing the other way or do I just feel like touching my hips? They just kind of decide in the moment without looking at the criteria. It's just, it's insane. And I know Chris Beard was very upset after the game in terms of the disparity in fouls. OSU only had 13 fouls. Tech had 24. I think that had more had to do with style of play. I mean, tech, Tech's a very outside to inside offense they do a lot of outside jump shooting especially McClung and I don't think the foul disparity had much to do with officials I just thought that that charge call was so bad a a YMCA official as a PFB Nate friend of the show uh, tweeted out he's like uh, he's like a YMCA fifth grade official can make this call yet a big 12 one can so my brick goes to the, the refs again they're just terrible yeah, I think that that's always a pretty solid brick. There were a couple last night that I'm just like, what What are we doing here? What, what's happening <laughs> with the officiating? Uh, you know, and I would love to have seen a better replay of the, the play where they said that Avery Anderson stepped out because it clearly wasn't on the catch of the basketball. Clearly the ref was saying that he stepped out whenever he did the little, you know, pump fake and then went. He was saying he stepped out at that moment, but I never saw a good enough replay to know whether that was accurate or not. Uh, for, for me... And this is going to sound weird. A lot of things went right on Monday, but I, I didn't really have a great brick. So I have to look uh, to find one at the first three minutes of the second half. And, and I just have to give Cade Cunningham a, a small brick, not, not a big brick today, a small brick for Cade, because he has gotten himself in foul trouble at times throughout this season. And, and that could doom Oklahoma State in a single elimination tournament format like the Big 12 tournament, like the NCAA tournament. It's just, you know, his second foul of the game that he picked up, the first one of the second half, was a silly reach-in on somebody else's defender as he was running by. He caught Mac McClung right across the left forearm. It was clear as day a foul. Why do you do that? Why do you reach in there? And then it was tough because his fourth foul 
I can definitely see what the ref saw. He, he, he hooked with the left arm. It's, it's a play that happens constantly throughout a basketball game, and you see it called about, I don't know, once every two weeks maybe, and, and it happens all the time. So it, it was one of those where I thought the ref really put on a show for that call, but it, it's just Cade has got to be better about keeping himself out of foul trouble because if you get in the tournament, you, you just cannot have Cade Cunningham sitting on the bench from the 17-minute mark to – whatever the 10 minute mark eight minute mark whatever time he came back in so i'm gonna give a very small brick to Cade just with the caveat that he needs to learn not to commit the silly ones if you're being aggressive it's one thing don't commit the silly ones where you're just reaching in yeah he's got to learn to to cut those out i do think he does a decent job once he's in foul trouble of not just giving up defensively, but playing defense well enough to where he doesn't foul. I do think he has learned how to do that, but you're right. He has to, he has to stay out of foul trouble. They're, they're going to go home early come, come big 12 tournament time and, uh, and certainly NCAA tournament time. So I think that's a good one as well. Uh, time for one interesting thing, Colby. What do you got? I can go first if you need me to. Yeah, fire away. Mine is Victor Hovland. And again, we, we talk about him a lot. Uh, with OSU golf and everyone around here knows, knows how good he is, but I really don't think the major golf world at large, or certainly the, the look, just the, the national audience understands how good Victor Hovland is already. He, in, in his last five tournaments, four of the past five finishes have been in the top six. I mean, he had a 31st in there, but he's finished first, 31st, second, sixth, fifth. He is one of the best players in the world right now. He is going to make the Ryder Cup team. He is awesome. And Matt Wolf's kind of going the other direction, Colby, but that's another story. But Victor Hovland is a superstar. And I know everyone around here knows that, and we, we certainly pull for him. But I don't think the – I think the betting market is starting to realize that, Colby, because he's only like 25-1 to 1 this week. But keep an eye on Victor. He's going to win some big tournaments this year. Yeah, he is. Victor's playing un believable golf and, and really has been for a long time it's funny this week he's down at the wgc the puerto rico open is actually the opposite field event this week and of course a year ago that was victor Hovland's first uh career pga tour win was the opposite field event at puerto rico of course he's won since then in mayakoba your fun fact for the day two pga tour wins for victor Hovland. he's yet to win in the united states so <laughs> i think eventually he's bound to win in the united states if he keeps winning PGA Tour events. Let, let's stick with the golf theme for my one interesting thing, Carson. I, I just really want to urge everybody to go listen to Taylor Gooch, who we talked about him a little bit earlier. He's putting together a really nice career on the PGA Tour. He, he's sitting at 86th in the official world golf rankings, but I don't think that's a, an accurate indicator. A website called Data Golf uses analytics to break down and basically gives out their own rankings. And there he sits at 42 in their rankings. And I think that's a much more accurate system uh, in, in terms of who the best players in the world are. And he sat down with us yesterday. That, that podcast just posted at noon. Uh, the 73rd hole is the name there. And, and Taylor talked about well, one of the really interesting things I thought he talked about, anybody who's played Karsten Creek in Stillwater, Karsten Creek is a big part of the allure of Oklahoma State. It's a huge recruiting tool for Oklahoma State. But he said 
that, you, you know, sometimes it was hard going from Karsten to the real world and playing real world golf courses because Karsten is this perfect palace where every single ball, you and me have played Karsten, every golf ball sits up on top of that zoysia grass like it's on a tee and mm-hmm. it makes it so easy to chip, to hit wedges, to do all this stuff. Uh, so, so it was interesting to hear him talk about Karsten and then moving on. Uh, he, he and his wife are expecting their first child this summer. So he talked about that. He talked about playing with Max Homa this Sunday. He talked about what junior golf in Oklahoma meant to him. So Taylor Gooch, who's from Carl Albert and went to Oklahoma State, is a, a great ambassador for the game of golf, especially here in the state of Oklahoma. So it was great of him to sit down with us for several hours uh, yesterday. So I highly recommend everyone heads over and listens to that interview with uh, just another great Oklahoma State golfer. It seems like the list never ends. Yeah, we have mutual friends, Taylor and I, and uh, you do as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to go listen to that because he is putting together a solid career. You mentioned the data golf. Isn't it? Isn't he just such a well-rounded player in terms of, you know, he doesn't just bomb it off the tee, but he, he drives it well. He hits his irons well. He's a really good putter, really good. Ch- like, doesn't it strike you that he's just a really just solid all-around player? Yeah, I mean, he really is. You go look at the strokes gained from last week, and, and a lot of guys have mostly green. A lot of guys near the top have mostly green all the way across and then a couple of reds. Of course, the two guys who were in the playoff played the best golf of everybody all week, so they were all green. But then you scroll down, and at uh, at T12, Taylor Gooch is there. He gained strokes on the field putting, around the green, approaching the green, off the tee, and tee to green. So, I, I mean, like you said, just a really well-rounded player and and he's put a lot of emphasis on his game and and on getting to where he is at this point and and I know that the win for Taylor Gooch is just right around the corner and it's it's going to be special uh for golf fans in the state of Oklahoma when he does it because he's not only a guy who came here to go to college he's from here he grew up playing on the OJGT which is the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour he grew up playing Oklahoma high school golf at Carl Albert and then he went to Oklahoma State so uh he's going to hoist a trophy this year and whenever he does it'll be it'll be pretty special and we'll celebrate it heavily here and on the 73rd hole as well yep be sure to check out the 73rd hole another thing I like about Taylor is he's not one of those kids who just grew up at a country club he comes from public courses his home course out there in Midwest City he's a he's a public course kid so it's it's a great story and Everybody go check that out on the 73rd hole. Real quick, just on that note. So yesterday he kind of made fun of some of the West Coast guys on tour. He's like, you know, some of these guys grow up at these bougie country clubs and we get out to some of these courses. And he's like, some guys actually have the nerve to complain about some of these courses that we play on the PGA (laughs) Tour. And I'm like, dude, I I grew up thinking that that going to get to play around at Lincoln Park was just the absolute best because the greens were always so pure. And you're out here complaining that we're at PGA West or whatever the case may be. So he's got some good stories uh, in there as well. And and he makes fun of the West Coast guys a couple of times. Good. He should. (laughs) Colby. We did a long one today. Appreciate it. Uh, Everyone go check out the 73rd Hole Podcast. Colby, you and I will reconvene later in the week. And uh, it's a big weekend for Oklahoma State. Back-to-back bedlams. We'll we'll break it all down. Colby, we'll, we'll talk to you then. Can't wait. Go, folks.